Cool. A couple thoughts uh, before we jump into study this morning. Um, <clears throat> I had a couple questions about what's going on in the Middle East with Iran and different things like that. Uh, I encourage you guys to spend some time in, uh, time in Ezekiel 37, 38. Um, is this the end? We don't know. There's been so I grew up with tensions going on in the Middle East between Iraq and Iran, but it is fun seeing pieces starting to fall together. Okay, we read there um, end time prophecy, how Iran will partner with uh, China, Russia, and those things are starting to come together. So the stage is being set. I don't think we're to be naive when it comes to Bible prophecy. God talks about the latter days and he talks about today more than any other time in history. So when we see these things in there, it shouldn't trouble us. Like, oh boy, there's a lot of fear mongering. World War III is going to take place. Who cares? We as Christians, we know where our hope is. If persecution takes place, praise God, because I look at churches that are thriving, brothers and sisters who are being bold in their faith are the ones who are being persecuted and who are going through it. So whatever the case may be, we may take some time in the future, dig into some of those prophecies uh, together on a Sunday morning. But I just want to encourage you guys, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, Fear, that's not of the Lord. So if you're tripping out about stuff, Man, read the scriptures. God tells us these things that our hearts aren't troubled. Don't you guys think it's pretty cool that these things that are happening were actually foretold right there in the scriptures? And just like, okay, God, you weren't joking. This exactly is. Anyways, it's fun. Um, If you guys have a Facebook account, one thing I love about the word of God, it changes lives. Amen? And we want to get the word out as much as possible. So if you have a Facebook, we're about to go live in a few minutes or probably pretty quick here. You can share. Okay, that's one way we can get the word of God out is sharing scripture. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we have videos on a platform that's called Vimeo. We've gone to 94 different countries out of Little Kakana, Wisconsin. The word of God has been listened to in 94 different countries just because we have these different media platforms. That's pretty cool to think about, guys. So share the word as often as possible. I know we like our mims and our funny stuff, but let me tell you what. There's not a whole lot of the word of God being shared today. So uh, do that in light of where we're going and we're starting this series on Jesus' letters to the churches. I think this is going to be some really good things that a lot of people have no clue about or want even want to consider, especially among Christians. So I encourage you to do that. Um, all right, let's get started on our series. Uh, I want you guys to open your Bibles and turn to Second Ephesians. Second Ephesians with me. Some of you guys are like, what are you talking about, Second Ephesians? Are you one of those churches that have added extra books to the Bible? No, we're not doing that. Jesus, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, had a message for seven different churches in Minor Asia there. And the first one we're going to look at today is to the church of Ephesus. So turn to Revelation chapter 2 with me and we will see Jesus' letter to the Ephesians. And one thing I love about the scriptures is we know uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, it says, Then I said, Behold, the volume of the book is about me. Okay, so Jesus makes it very clear that the whole of the Bible, the book you're holding in your hand, 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus, 
Really, Pastor? I wish I could just take the time this morning to exhaust with you how we see Jesus in every book of the Bible, but then we never get to Jesus' letters in the book of Revelation that we've been looking so forward to. But if you just consider a few of them with me, going back to Genesis, we consider Jesus being the seed of the woman that was prophesied in chapter 3, verse 15. It was all about him. It wasn't Jesus going to come from the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's all about the Messiah coming to the world to bless all nations. Then you consider Exodus. It's all about this Passover lamb. Well, what did the greatest man who ever lived said? Who's that? Well, John the Baptist. Oh, we know he's the greatest man who ever lived. Because Jesus said so. And if God said he's the greatest man, well, what made him so great? He was kind of goofy. Well, he said, hey, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So when you consider Exodus, it's all about this Passover lamb. It is Jesus Christ. It's a picture of him, the man of that, from heaven that takes place in Exodus. We read about Jesus. I am the bread of life, the manna that came down from heaven, John chapter 6. The rock that was struck in Horeb. We know that was Jesus in the book of Exodus there. When then we consider the tabernacle, I've been with my guys, we're studying Exodus right now. And we're considering the tabernacle, the brazen altar, the lampstand, the table of showbread, the Ark of the Covenant, all this stuff is about Jesus. The volume of the book is about him. And then it goes all the way, every book of the Bible, you can see Jesus all the way to Revelation. And what is Revelation? It is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ, right? The King of King, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the, la- the first, right? He is all, all those things. He's of the tribe of Judah, Revelation 5.5. 5. He is the Word of God, Revelation 19.13. And he is the bright morning star, Revelation 22.16. I don't know about you guys, but when picking up the book of Revelation... We find ourselves in awe. I mean, last week, considering chapter one, Pastor David hit briefly on seeing this Jesus glorified. Wow! John couldn't even deal with it. He dropped down dead. Oh, I can't even be here! This is unreal! I can't, I can't look, I can't look, right? But it's one of those things we get to consider him. And for some people, they come to Revelation, it's an overwhelming task for them. This is a book that I shouldn't touch. I can't understand it. I was 19 years old and I asked my pastor at the church I was going to at the time, can we study the book of Revelation? Because I read here, we're blessed if we study it. There's a blessing that's tied to it. Can Can we do that? You know what he told me? Revelation isn't for today. What? This is one of the bigger churches in the valley, guys. Scary thing going on. I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by it. I think a lot of pastors get overwhelmed by it. But I'll be honest with you guys, the more I study the book of Revelation, I think it's the easiest book in the Bible to understand. And I do believe and do agree with the scripture that tells us that there's a blessing that comes from studying this book, reading it, or hearing it. It is so good. It's so practical. Okay, God has chosen to reveal himself in what is yet to come. And if we consider Bible prophecy, it's literal. It always has been literal. 
And a lot of people have a hard time understanding revelation because they don't want to roll with how God has spoken in times past. He's always spoken this way. Why would he continue to speak prophecy the same way? And when you don't read it literally, it does get hard. It gets confusing. But if you just read what it says, how oh, this makes sense. Maybe we don't know all the exact details, but we definitely get the beautiful framework. Pretty easy to understand. He's pretty straightforward with things. So dealing with Bible prophecy, I think it is a, a thing that is lacking today in the church. But in those things concerning, you know, that are going to come, it's good for us to be in the know. Okay, God doesn't want us to be naive. He doesn't want us to miss out. That's why he's spoken so much concerning these things. What we're going to do is we're going to take time just looking at the church in light of the book of Revelation about Jesus Christ. What does he see and what does he have to say to the church is? And that's really the key as we enter this study. Take a look with me in chapter 1, verse 19 for a moment. Okay, I think this is a, a divine outline for you guys who are beginning to maybe for the first time study through the book of Revelation. It's good to grasp verse 19 because we see an outline here uh, that was given for Revelation to John who received it from the Lord while imprisoned there on the island of Patmos. Look at verse 19. It says, Write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things that will take place after this. Wow! That sounds like a divine order there. Okay, those things that you have seen, that would have been chapter 1. Hey, he saw Christ glorified. Okay, that's what he's seeing here. And the things that are, I believe, is chapters 2 and 3. It would be the churches throughout the ages, this dispensation of grace that we're in today. And then the things which are to come. And that would be speaking of the tribulation, guys. Chapter 6 to 19. And then the last few chapters deals with the millennial reign. Okay, so that's all yet future. And some people get really confused. You guys know that most churches around today believe that the tribulation's already taken place. What? That we're living in the millennium already. What? Really? If this is the millennium, I, I'm like, down, God. Because you said it was going to be a lot better than what it's, what's going on right now. So anyways, it is good to take his word literal, okay? And I think we find safety when we uh, take this divine outline to look at that. But our emphasis this morning is we're going to look at Jesus' letters to the churches. So the first one we're going to look at in chapter 2 is to the uh, church in Ephesus, okay? Does somebody want to shout out, What's the little subtitle right there, right at the top, the heading for, for this church? What does it say? Loveless church. Loveless church. Anybody have any, anything else? Backslidden church. Anything else? Okay. What if Jesus showed up and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you exactly what I think about you. Have you guys thought about that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to, what if he said that to you personally? Okay, and then wrote it down for everybody to see for all time. How would you guys feel about that? Well, that's exactly what God did with these churches. But it's for our, for our edification, guys. Okay, it's for us today also. 
So I want to get into this with you guys this morning. And I really want to pull out what's happening in this text. And we'll read through it in a moment. But first, I want to consider Jesus, okay? It tells us right away in the beginning that he's the one holding these seven stars. And he walks among the lampstands. I want you to jot down in your notes Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Listen carefully. Nothing in all creation, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one whom we are accountable. Think about that. He intimately, infinitely is so aware of everything going on with each one of us, every single person, we can't hide nothing from him, guys. We might think we get away with things, but God sees it all. He knows it all. He even sees the intents that are in our heart, guys. So here, as we consider these letters to the churches from Jesus, if you look at verse 7, it says, Let those who have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is something I don't want us to miss as we consider over the next few weeks these seven different churches. There's something in each one of them for us to hear, to get, to understand. Okay, And I believe he does this because he loves us. Amen? Well, this is kind of mean, Jesus. Really? You're tattling? I thought tattling was a sin. No, it's not tattling. Okay, He sees it. This is what I love you enough to tell you the truth. You're doing some good things, but there's some things you're off on. You're missing the mark. And I'm loving you enough to tell you the truth. So we need to hear this. They needed to hear this. These seven churches are not only historic congregations. Okay, It's kind of funny to go through them and study throughout history how they fit. Okay, I don't know if that's exactly the way they were intended, because I read them. I think they could fit at any time throughout history. But it is pretty fascinating looking through church history, how the seven churches would line up chronologically. But they also stand as symbols. And I think that's the most important part for you and I when we consider church, our strengths and our weaknesses of the church throughout all time and every member of the church. I want to consider with you guys as we look at this first church, this loveless church, this church in Ephesus. Um, I want to throw up a map real quick. Let me find the map. There we go. Okay. This is where Ephesus would land, uh, modern day Turkey. Uh, it was nearest to Patmos. You guys see off there, there's a little bitty island. That's where John was exiled. Okay. They tried to kill. The last apostle who was alive, they tried to boil him to death, but he wouldn't die. So, hey, let's just send him to this remote island and he can die there, you know, kind of thing. So it's close to Patmos there. Ephesus was known as a great trade center. It was a seaport at the time. Very wealthy people at the same time, very immoral people. Do you guys know what the most prosperous country in the world is today? I think we are. I think we are the most prosperous country in the history of the world. And I see us becoming quickly very immoral people. And that's what we've seen throughout history. People that were very blessed quickly became immoral. There they have, I'll go back, the Temple of Diana there. 
Artemis. This is where they would practice sexual immorality. It's something they looked forward to. It was a part of their worship. Very well-educated people. There are the ruins. They got some of the most beautiful ruins there in Ephesus. I would love to go on Paul's missionary journey and visit some of these churches there in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. But yeah, they had one of the most uh, beautiful um, libraries of the world. Uh, The temple there is known as one of the seven wonders of the world. So there's a lot of rich history there. Paul had a heart to go to the Gentile world. It's what he was commissioned to do. We read in Acts 16, 16, he tried to go there on a second second, uh, missionary journey. He visited then on a return trip. And I think when it comes to missions, okay, and you guys know that we're missionaries. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a missionary. Well, I haven't gone on the mission field. Guys, the second you walk out this door, we're on the mission field. Okay, that's just reality. But we need to be strategic in how we go about it. And I think that's very important. That's something I love when I study Paul's missionary journeys. It's just like he was very purposeful. Okay, the Holy Spirit had him going here and doing this for reasons. And then we see uh, Paul returned on his third missionary journey there. And he stayed for at least two and a half years Um, And the gospel took effect. There were some crazy riots in Acts 19. Actually, let's turn. Acts 18. Let's go there. We'll read a little bit uh, in a moment. Uh, But the church that was there was making an impact in a very affluent, vibrantly cultured, but spiritually dark and morally corrupt place. That's what was going on there. So when Jesus writes to the angel of the church of Ephesus, okay, Keep in mind this church there, modern-day Turkey. It was a metropolis there in Asia Minor. Some of the greatest ruins that we found in the world are there. That beautiful amphitheater given to worship of sexual immorality. Okay, um, quarter of a million people probably lived there during that time. They say maybe up to a half a million. Uh, but they were educated, pagan, sexually immoral people. That's who they were. We have records. We have historians that have spoken about these people uh that's who they were but let's take a look here in acts 18 together and we'll read a little bit of what took place in regards to the gospel going to ephesus so acts 18 verse 18 so paul still remained a good while and then he took leave of his brother and he sailed for syria and priscilla and aquila were with him and he had his hair cut off at Centuria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Think about, pause for a second. These guys were awesome, okay? Talk about some, you know, a brother and a sister ready for the work of the Lord. I mean, they'd given up everything to go with Paul to be missionaries. Pretty awesome. And they're going to come to our city? They're coming to teach, to serve us? What a privilege. What an honor. They know the Apostle Paul. It's going to be awesome, right? And I think about Ephesus just in regards to all they had. Did you guys know that Timothy that we, we have, first and second Timothy, okay, uh, in the scriptures? Do you guys know that they had him as a pastor for many years there in Ephesus? Do you know Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there for many years? Do you know the last apostle, John? Do you know what church he was pastoring? In his last days here on planet Earth, Ephesus. Do you guys see how blessed Ephesus was as a church? 
And we're going to read here. Let's keep going on. Paul comes to them. So when they asked him to stay a, a longer time with them, he did not consent, but to leave of them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea and gone up to greet the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and he went over to the region of Galatia and Pergia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in scriptures, came to Ephesus. So even this guy shows up in Ephesus. Verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. We need Aquila and Priscilla's in our lives, guys. Some of us think we might have it, okay? But are we going to have brothers and sisters come along? No, there's a little more. There's some things you're missing. That's a blessing to have these people in our lives. Verse 27, And when he desired to cross to Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted Jews publicly, showing from the scripture that Jesus is the Christ. So I think that's pretty cool. Even though Paul was there just a short time the first time, okay, a church was established. Isn't that cool? It doesn't take much. I did a 10-day trip once with a bunch of brothers and sisters to uh, uh, Bucharest in Romania. A church was birthed in 10 days. Over 50 people got saved. There were some missionaries there, not a whole lot going on. They'd been faithfully serving, but a church had not been established. But just going out for a week, proclaiming the gospel, over 50 people got saved. And on our last day there, we had all them gathered together in a church was established in a short time. So God does these things, guys. Check out verse, or chapter 19 then. And it happened while Apollos was in Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so he said to them, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Isn't that kind of cool? Have you guys ever heard of 12 disciples before? Oh, anyways. Verse 8, and went into the synagogue and spoke boldly there. Paul's there. Three months reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but they spoke evil of the way, before the multitude, he departed from there and he withdrew his disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years. Wow! 
The Apostle Paul actually slowed down that much? Stuck around somewhere for two years? Yeah. What was he doing? Okay. He was there that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both the Jews and the Greeks. That's why it was here. It wasn't so people could come gather together and learn the scriptures really well. No, what's the Great Commission, guys? Go into all the world, all of Asia. I love that all that dwelt in Asia heard the word. Look at verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles during this time, right? By the hands of Paul. So even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out from them. Then some of the uh, interior Jews exorcists took it upon themselves Catch what happens here. To call on the name of the Lord Jesus over these evil spirits saying, we exercise you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? (laughs) Who are you guys? You don't even believe in Christ. You believe in the power of his name to do exorcists, but you're not even born again. Verse 16, then the men whom these evil spirit or had this evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on all of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Wouldn't it be cool if that happened right here, guys? The whole city. The name of Jesus is being magnified. Everyone is hearing about these miracles. Verse 18, And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them in the totality 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. I love it, guys. Do you guys know that the church is to be countercultural? We're not to look like the world. So let's knock it off. You see, guys, we can simultaneously be offensive and attractive at the same time. Think about that for a moment. That's who we are as the church. If we are standing in truth, standing for Christ, people will be offended. But at the same time, they're going to want what we got because we're different. We have a hope that is real, that is sure that this world doesn't have, and they want it too. We have a peace that they're looking for. Even though we may be bigoted and offensive, that's what they, we're not bigoted. No, we love we love enough to stand for what our God has said. And we stand enough, we love enough to tell them the truth. And that offends people. But deep down, guys, it's attractive to them at the same time. So, considering Paul's two years there in Ephesus, cultic practices were taking place there, immoral, pagan, demonic people given over to darkness they repent we're going to bring our books of sorcery but all our worldly stuff these false idols we're done 
We're going to burn it up. I love it. So what a beginning to this church. Would you guys agree? What an awesome start. Learn from the book of Ephesians. I encourage you guys to read it often. When I had prepared to teach for the first time a book of the Bible, I chose the book of Ephesians. What a greater, is there a greater book to share the truth of God with others? There's so much practical. It's all good. You guys know that. <laughs> There's just so much in the book of Ephesians. I think about all the promises that we find as we read and we study Ephesians. Jesus' first letter to them spoke of who they were because of who he is and all the promises that they have as his kids. Spiritual blessings, redemption through the blood that he shed the forgiveness of sins because they are in him. The inheritance that they had is being his kids. That they were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That he was going to be their peace. And the list goes on and on and on. But there's so much there for us in the book of Ephesians. And he even concludes, you guys remember chapter 6? This is who you are in me. Walk in this way and make sure to put on that full armor of God because this world is rough. The enemy's going to come after you. He's going to hate who you are now because you're in me, because you've been saved by my blood, because you are my child. A target is now on your back. You need to take up that full armor of God daily to stand against the wiles of the devil. But that makes me think, guys, how long does it take for a church in love with Jesus to fall out of love with Jesus? It started off awesome. You guys are reading the same thing I'm reading here. God was doing a lot of awesome things. An awesome epistle was given to the church. And now we find ourselves with the second letter. How long does it take to fall out of love with Jesus? 20 to 30 years and they were being evaluated. It didn't take that long. We've been doing church for over a decade. Be going on too soon. How long does it take, guys? So what do you think should matter in the church today? Why do I ask that question? Because I think that's what they did. They neglected what mattered. That's how they became a loveless church. That's how they fell away from their first love. So what matters in the church? What should matter? You guys got any suggestions? What should matter in the church? Love. Love. Discipleship. What? Seeking him first. His kingdom. His righteousness. It's got to be about him, guys. It's him. But isn't it easy for us to make church about other things? It sure is, guys. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 2 if you're not there. So to the church in Ephesus, he tells them to write. He says these things. says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst 
of the seven golden lampstands. So the last verse of chapter one, go back, look at the last verse. Verse 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstands, these are the seven angels or messengers to the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now let's turn to first Ephesus together. Let's turn to <laughs> Ephesians together. I want to consider with you guys the word walk. Because we see Jesus walking among the seven churches or the lampstands. And that makes me think immediately of the book of Ephesians. Because we're told there how to walk. Seven different times the verb walk comes up. So I believe it's describing how we should live our daily Christian lives, our lifestyle throughout both the Old and New Testaments, there are numerous verses that talk about or illustrate for you and I different spiritual disciplines of using the word walk. And I think the book of Ephesians is one of the neatest ones because it really camps on that theme. And there's seven walks that are laid out for us. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 2 with me. In which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, in the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So the first here, guys, the first walk that we see is reminding us of how we walked before we were born again. And then the underlining principle of this verse is that since we are born again, then we should be walking, okay, in a way that isn't evil anymore. Besides, now that we are led by the spirit, why should we give in to our flesh and start walking in sin any longer? That's the point here. The second one is in verse 10 of chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is teaching us that although works cannot save us, we're saved to walk in good works. You've been born again. Great. Now what? You get to walk in good works, right? When couples get engaged and plan on getting married, they got it all figured out. It's going to be great. We're going to be a team. I'm going to do my half 50% and she'll do her half 50%. Uh-uh. I got to tell them that's wrong thinking. If you're only going to give half into your marriage, Stinky marriage. You got to give all of yourself 100%. Isn't that what God's asking us to do? And husbands, love your wives unconditionally, sacrificially, only 50% of the time. I don't read that in the Bible, do you guys? <laughs> Me neither, right? We're all in 100%, 100%. And I think that's the same thing in our relationship with Christ. I'm glad you saved me. Glad you're doing your part. Thanks for your grace. I'll do my little part, 50-50, working together. No. No, you were bought with a great price. God, all in. He gave all. Do you not know that you've been purchased with a great price? Your life is no longer your own, brothers and sisters. We're all in, 100%. Amen? Amen. The third one's found in chapter 4. Look at verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you on 
making you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. So again, he's stressing the importance of walking worthy here of this high calling of God. And then he gives various ways in which one walks worthy. So these culminate in the unity of the spirit between one another. Really, is that what it says there? Yeah, to walk in that type of unity. It's a worthy calling, but there's so much disunity in the body of Christ. Where's the disconnect? What's going on? I think it comes back to we're missing Revelation chapter 2. What happened to this good church that left their first love? Because if we're really walking with Jesus, isn't it easy just to love one another? It sure is, guys. All right, a couple more. Look at verse 17. This is the fourth one, and it's similar to the first one. He says, This I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So this is teaching us that we should not walk in the way that we used to. So this fourth walk also connects the Christian to the vital importance understanding that they must keep their minds renewed. So important. Those who have made up mind will no longer walk the way they used to walk. That's why we need to be in the scriptures daily. That's why we're encouraging you guys to read the word of God daily with us. Why? Because our minds need to be renewed. Because in this world, man, we are being influenced. We are hearing so many voices, so many so-called truths out there. And unless we're going to God's word, which is absolute truth, a truth that is able to sanctify us, to set us free, we're going to get lost and we're going to find ourselves pulled away. I don't know about you guys, there's so many times I pick up the word of God and I'm reading his word. God, you said this. I know this scripture. I've read it before, but I've forgotten. How did my thinking get so jacked up? And I got to repent. I got to turn back and say, you're right. I'm wrong. Forgive me. And I have to choose to start walking in that truth. You guys might remember better than I do, but I'm forgetful. And that's why I have to be in the word continually. The fifth walk, we find this in chapter 5 now, verse 2. It instructs us to walk in love. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So love is the fulfillment of the law, we're told. Love really is that hinge holding together both testaments, okay? And we are to love as Christ loved, unconditionally, to love. But I thought we're supposed to hate people. No. No. We don't need to hate any longer. You guys know that? We get to love. There's too much hate already. We, we can't even be civil with one another. We can't even have conversations with one another. Because I have so much hate, I'm not even willing to hear or reason. I don't even want to be logical. Just because I hate. We're not called to that, brothers and sisters. We get to love. Love listens. Love's going to go that extra mile out of its way. So we get to walk in love just as Christ. But I don't want to go to those people. 
study the Gospels. Who did Jesus go to? Oh, that's right. He went to the ones that had it all together. The ones that were easy to love. No, he went to the ones that needed help, that needed a lot of service. That was the love of our Father. And then look with me at Ephesians 5.8. This is the sixth one and explains how we are to walk as children of the light. You see, darkness is not a, the opposite of light. Do you guys know that? It's not the opposite of light. It is the absence of it. Does that make sense? Okay, so we must reflect the glory of God then in our lives daily. It says, for we who once were in darkness, okay, but now you are light. You were once darkness, but now you're born again. Okay? You are light. Do you not know that you are the salt and the light of the world? That's what God says. You are the light. Whether you like it or not. If you're born again, you are the light. And it says here, you are the light in the Lord. So walk as children in the light. Do you desire to be in the light as he's in the light? Do you have that desire? I hope so. And then the seventh walk, Ephesians 5.15 See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So here, it's teaching us to examine how we're walking. How's your walk? I would love if you guys asked me that. Not how you feeling? How's the headache? Man, I've had physical problems my whole life. I'm going to have them to the day I die. How's your soul, brother? How's your walk going? And I hope I can be real with you guys, that we can encourage one another, that we can pray for one another. But we're to examine ourselves, because if you ask me, hey, bro, how's your walk? Um, I think it's good. Still going to church. They still let me preach. <laughs> we're doing good. No, I've taken the time, time out, to really examine how is my walk Great that I'm going through the motions. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But where's my heart in this walk? How am I really doing? Am I really excited about searching the scriptures, studying it to get to know my heavenly father more? Am I fire about sharing Jesus with others? Because he saved my soul. He saved me from myself, from sin, from hell. Am I excited to be, to be able to share that good news with others? You see, we're to examine ourselves. I like taking walks. It's one of the reasons I got a dog. It'll make me get out there a little more because I know when I go for a walk, I feel better physically. It's refreshing. It's healthy for you. But I think in the same way, guys, to spiritually examine ourselves is just as important. So are we walking wisely? I think that's a vital part of a Christian's success. Examine yourself. And have brothers and sisters that know you well enough that you're doing life with that can speak into your life if you're not walking, if you're starting to go astray. Do you have those people around you? Hey, bro! Hey, sis! What are you thinking? We need those people in our lives. So, um, side note, <laughs> just in light of the crazy that's going on around us, a lot of people are tripping right now, okay? Um, 
I have a hard time when the church finds itself reacting to the world. Do you guys understand what I mean by that? Something happens, we're seeing this on the headlines, and we start tripping. Oh no, what are we going to do? And we're reacting to what's going on in the world. I haven't found a scripture that tells us to do that yet. Can you guys think of one? No. I do see a lot of scriptures that tell us how to respond to God. And that's what I want for us, brothers and sisters. We're not reacting to the world. We're responding to God. That's what we're fixed on. That's our mission. God, what are you doing? I'm on mission. My eyes are on you. (laughs) Heard this going on? Bummer. (laughs) But I'm responding to you because I'm responding to you. I'm ready. I'm ready to love. I'm ready to serve. I'm equipped to engage and thrive in whatever chaos might come our way. Amen? Good side note? Awesome. All right, so let's consider. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 2. And I think this is what is great about these letters that Jesus gave to the churches. It helps us to pause and to consider where are we at? Where are we really at? What are we doing good? What are we doing wrong? We don't want to talk about that. People don't like to be told that they're wrong. I think if we're truly humble, we crave correction. Because if we're truly humble, we know that he's wiser than we are. We also know that his ways are higher than ours are. And we're ready because we know he knows best. So let's take a read. Verse 1. The angel of the church of Ephesus write these things. says, He, Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, he says, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. <laughs> right on, church in Ephesus. These are good things. And you have tested those who say they are apostles or are not. And you have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake. And you have not become weary. Wow. Let that be said of us. Amen. These are great things. And don't become weary in those. I was so encouraged. I got a sister in the Lord. She stood up in our wedding and she has fun mims on her Facebook. They make me laugh. And she threw up something this last week that she doesn't normally throw up and it was a lengthy article. I don't know about you guys, but if the article's lengthy, I just skip over. Who has time to read that? That'll take me two minutes. That's too long. Anyways, (laughs) but I, I paused to read it and I was so encouraged by it as it spoke to my heart and just some things, some prayers, some heart cries before the Lord that I've been having lately. But it was a, the short article was uh, telling of a story of a man who spent 30 years going to ch- every week going to church, taking in thousands of sermons. Okay? And he's thinking on it. It's just like, man, church all these years, all these studies. And I can't remember one that the preacher ever preached. Not one. And he got home and he complained a little bit to his wife about it. And the wife brought up the point of just, hey, 
We've been married that long. How many times have I cooked for you, made meals for you? Can you remember all those meals that you had with me that we ate? And I love it because as you guys probably conclude, that's exactly what we need. We need nourishment, daily bread. And there are times, guys, where, man, I'm just going through the motions. Is this really profitable? Is it really needed? Absolutely. Never take for granted time spent in the Word of God. Time that you've taken, you've carved out to hear the preaching of God's Word. It is beneficial for our soul. We need it. I was talking with a brother earlier this week. Missed a couple weeks of church, and he could feel it in his soul. You know, I just feel depleted. (laughs) We need it. Don't take it for granted. And don't become weary in doing good. There are things that God's called us to do. One of them is not forsake the assembling together. We're to give ourselves to these things. It's good. There are many things that God has given to us to be part of our diet as a Christian. But in those things, the things he's calling us to do, the ways he's calling us to serve and use our gifts and our talents, our time, don't become weary in those things. Actually, turn to Galatians chapter 6. This is a scripture an older sister in the Lord shared with me. She gave me a card at one of the most timely moments in my ministry as a chaplain to the the county jail here. I was ready to call it quits. I was praying on it. And she left me a card that was so encouraging. And at the end of the card, she wrote down Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Look at it with me. And let us not grow weary. But I can't take it anymore. This is so overwhelming. I can't do it. And this is a scripture shared with me. Don't grow weary while doing good. For in due season you shall reap if you don't lose heart. God is faithful, guys. Don't lose heart. I know some of you feel like giving up. I've been doing this. It's become a burden. It is hard. Well, there's some heart examination that needs to go on. But you also need to have encouragement. And the encouragement is don't grow weary. Go back a few books. There's another good one in 1 Corinthians 15. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labors in the Lord aren't in vain. They're not in vain. Some of us feel that way. Well, this is pointless. I've taught almost 3,000 messages in my life. Is the fruit really there, Lord? Has it really done any good? Me sharing with my neighbors? Leading those people to Christ? Do they even walk with you anymore? What was the point, Lord? Your labor's not in vain, guys. One more, Hebrews chapter 6. This has been my encouragement verse of this last year. I think I may have shared it with you guys one other time. Hebrews 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust. Aren't you guys glad? He's just. He's not unjust to forget your work or the labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister. 
Guys, we're called to do good to all, but to especially to those of the household of faith. We are all ministers. We're called to serve one another, to love one another, and it's not in vain. God's not unjust to forget what we do, but he doesn't see me when I'm here cleaning and nobody else sees. He doesn't see when I'm teaching the kids and all the preparation, the time that I'm on my knees praying for them. Nobody knows I go down to the pantry and I clean up there when nobody else is around or I'm organizing clothes or stocking shelves or registering people or keeping records of, you know. God sees it all, guys. He sees when you're dying to self to love your spouse rightly. He sees when you're training your children the way they should go. Your labor's not in vain, guys. He sees your labors of love. I don't know about you guys, but I want to give God more to remember. Okay, he's not unjust. He won't forget. Well, that makes me want to give him more to remember then. And some of us have kind of found ourselves in a place where Ephesians, the second letter to Ephesians, this letter from Jesus, we've left our first love. We don't do once those things we once did. We're not pouring in, we're not serving, we're not sacrificing the way we once did. What happened? How did we step away from our first love? How do we backslide in such a way? And that's where we examine ourselves. We ask God to reveal our hearts. So, there's two types of Christians. I believe there's only two types of Christians. I want you guys to catch this. I've never shared this with you before. It's come up as we've studied the scriptures. But two types of Christians. Disobedient or those who long to be more obedient. If I step back and look at the big picture, that's what I see. And that's where I see the exhortations and the encouragement through the word of God. You're either disobeying or you're longing to obey more. It's one or the other. So what type of Christian are you? You're one or the other. I don't know about you guys, but I found myself in both camps several different times over the years. But God's faithful to spank my butt if I'm in one camp. (laughs) But I love when my heart doesn't need to be spanked, where there is just a longing I I just know you're right, God. I know this is good. You are worthy. I've been hanging out with you. I'm loving my relationship with you, doing life with you, and you just have that longing in your heart. So you may agree with me or not agree with me, but that's kind of what I see, big picture stuff. So back to Revelation 2. Look at verse 4, nevertheless. I have this against you, that you've left your first love. And that should be circled there. You left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly to you, or to you quickly, and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have. 
that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So Jesus recognizes all that's going on. Okay? Commendations, there's nine things. In verse 2, it talks about the deeds, what they were doing as a church, their toil, their hard work there. Work that actually exhausts. The Greek word is kapos. Okay? You're working to the point, I'm spent. I've given my all. Some of you guys have kids who have been serving up at Silver Birch doing dishes this weekend for other retreaters. They're going to come home exhausted from serving the Lord this weekend. That is good for these young people. They need to learn that this is good. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel good when I'm spent. I gave all I had, Lord. I'm good. I actually feel good. You know when I'm feeling ill? It's when I'm lazy sitting around. I know I should probably be there or doing that. There's an opportunity. But man, I just don't want to deal with life. I just want to numb out on Netflix for a while. I'm guilty of that, guys. And I hate how I feel in those days. But man, when I give of myself, literally sweating at time, exhaustion, I sleep so good. I wake up in the joy of the Lord because I went to bed in the joy of the Lord, guys. Enjoy serving him. It's not a burdensome thing to keep his commandments. He's called us to love him and to love others. Love's a verb. It's going to do something. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. There's going to be sacrifice. But it feels good. And he wants us to enjoy this life. So, he also mentions this quality of theirs again in verse 3 with the perseverance. That's a steadfastness, okay? It's this unwavering resolve, this endurance for my name's sake, he tells us. So they did not only work hard and suffer well for the glory of Christ, but they also maintained a doctrinal and a moral purity, okay? They stuck to what the word says and how God was asking them to live. In the second part of verse 2, they cannot endure these evil men. Why? Because they love righteousness. Do you guys love what's right? Some of you do. Some of you are totally digging this. Because this is truth. These things are right. They are good to hear. Some of you guys don't care about what's right. I just want to get out of here. Stop speaking at me. I got other priorities. I don't really care about what's right. That's why people don't go to church. That's why they don't study the scriptures. Verse 6. Oh, actually, verse 2, 2, it tells us that they don't endure these guys, but they actually put them to the test. What does that mean? They're practicing discernment. Doctrinal discernment. We're living in the last days, guys. False prophets all around us. Are you able to discern? Do you know the word of God enough that when a counterfeit comes, you can be like, oh, hang on, buddy. It's not what God says. You're a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's kind of judgmental. No, that's discerning, which God has asked us to do. Be discerning. Verse 6, you hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. 
I'm not sure about the Nicolaitans. I know their name means victory over laity. Think about that for a second. The deeds of the Nicolaitans is they were ruling over dictatorship. You guys submit to me. Do this. What are we called to do? I think of 1 Peter 5 where it tells us not to lord over them but be examples. Guys, you don't have to be a pastor to be in leadership. If you're a father here, you're a pastor whether you like it or not. You're leading a flock. Moms, you're nourishing your kids. Older siblings, guess what? Your youngers are looking up to you. You're leading whether you know it or not. But we're not to do it in a dictatorial sense. We're to be examples. And isn't that what Jesus did to us? He came and he showed us how to live. He did it. He was the example. Man, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the way it should be, brother and sister. We should be in that place. Of, yeah, I am a good example. It's because I'm following a good example. I'm following Jesus. And that should be a natural thing. And God's put a lot of people into our lives. But I do want to make this point here. Religious dictatorship that allows little or no freedom is something that God hates. That's why we're not a cult. You guys get that. That's why we're not all doing the exact same thing. It's one of the reasons we shy away from a formal membership here. I've seen in a lot of churches, well, if you're a member, you have to do these things. And there are things that God has put in, in the church's care, in the ways of authority, to watch out for the flock. And those are good, and we want to have that type of relationship. But when we're all conforming to look like one another, we're missing the freedom in which God has given to us because we have been created by him in his image. He's made each and every one of us creative in different ways to bring him glory. And if we're doing something we haven't been created to do, if we're all trying to do the same thing, we're going to miss what God has and I believe the great things he's wanting to do. So I want to encourage you guys. I love that our name's Freedom Fellowship. My prayer is that you guys are the freest people upon the planet to do the things God wants you to do. I don't want to say, hey, this is what the church does and this is what you have to do. No. I want us to be a body where God is working in our lives. And man, if this brother's doing this or that sister has a heart for that, that we come alongside each other, encourage one another, pray for one another, serve one another in those things, instead of just getting these couple little things accomplished, if we're all doing our part and using our gifts and talents, how much more is going to be done for the gospel? Does that make sense? And that's, I think, what Jesus was hating, was the deeds of the Nicolaitans. You guys need to conform need to be put under our control. Man, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's what the Scripture is. So be free in Christ, brother and sister.
Okay? Don't ever. And we need to safeguard that. People want to make church into other things. Man, we need to be an activist church. Because, man, this evil is taking place right in our backyard. And if we don't do something about that, can we even call ourselves Christians any longer? Where does that come from? That's a Nicolaitan mindset. That's from the pit of hell, guys. That is not our God. The church is for us together to look to him, to be equipped for the work in the ministry. And what is that? That's going into this world and sharing Jesus, guys. Jesus didn't tell us this is the way you do it. If you guys just have the one stellar radio show or the one outreach that will draw everybody in because you have the best musicians around and we have liberty in Christ so we'll sell beer like the Catholics and everybody will come out. (laughs) Honestly, guys, this is what we do. This is the way we're going to do it. No. What does God do? He wants us to have freedom. Be who you are. Love Jesus. Share the gospel. I'm glad you guys laughed at that. I just get a kick out of the huge beer cans at a church. The big inflatables, like 20 feet tall. Oh, anyways. Um, Really, guys, you're free to do. I had a brother one time. I have a conviction about going into a bar, you know, and my conviction comes from my love for you guys, okay? If you're driving down College Avenue, taking your kids to, you know, some event, you know, or maybe to visit grandpa and grandma, whatever it is, and your kids are like, hey, there's Pastor Landon. He's walking into the bar. I don't want to do that to your families, guys. Does that make sense? It's out of love. But I have a brother who witnesses in bars. He knows that it's a dark place. People are broken. They don't want to deal with life. And he's in there sharing the gospel with them. And I think that's awesome. Great. God's calling you to that. People are getting saved. What a great opportunity. Jesus hung out with drunkards. You know, that's what he's doing. But he thinks and he's cast. He wants to put me down and saying, you're missing it. If you really walked with the Lord, Landon, you'd come with me. You wouldn't put that burden upon yourself. I'm like, that's not for you to decide. That's between me and the Lord. I think it's great that God's calling you to minister in that way. He's calling me to minister in other ways. Are you more right than I am? No. God's calling you to do this, and he's calling me to do that. If we were all in bars all the time because you have a heart of evangelists, guess what? I wouldn't be at a church equipping the saints. And if we were all in bars, guess what? Nobody would ever be getting saved because no one's ever going to church to be equipped with the gospel. Does that make sense, guys? And there are people today, well, hey, I don't need church. I don't need fellowship. No, we need to do what God's asked of the church. Does that make sense? And we need to do what we're called to do. Anyways, back to here. Some ideas that come around the church here. The things that Jesus hates are made very clear. The church in Ephesus here uh, recognized that these things were going on around them. They had this great discernment. They didn't tolerate them. So Jesus like, you guys are doing good in that way. The church in Ephesus seemed to have 
uh, be an amazing one there. We're told they're busy with service. They were patient in their suffering. They're discerning the doctrinal practices of others. They were orthodox and they were doing it all for his namesake. I think those are really good things. But they were lacking, and what they were lacking rendered all these things meaningless. That's what Jesus is saying. Great, you're doing all this good stuff. It means nothing is what Jesus is saying. Okay, It could cost them their place. Again, in verse 4, in a word here, we could say that they're backsliders. Would you guys agree? It says the loveless church. I wish we all titled this church the backslidden church. That's what happened. Even though they had all this good stuff going on. I'm going to be very real with you guys. So I've been studying. I've read through dozens of times all seven letters in preparation for this study. I keep coming back. If I would have to say of Freedom Fellowship, which church we're most like, I would say we're most like Ephesus. Guys, we're doing a lot of good things. We're in the word of God. We have discernment. We're doing. We're serving. We're out doing the gospel. But have we left our first love? I just preached a message coming in the new year, guys. We could have a lot of vision on a lot of different things. We need our eyes on Jesus. That is what we need. Maybe our eyes are on Jesus. But what's pulling us away? What dangers might be out there that are going to allow us to drift? Are we conscious of those things? And if we are drifting, are we willing to repent and get back to where we need to be? And how do we know that, guys? It's in our love. You left my first, your first love. Is the love specifically speaking about just Jesus? I think it's talking about our first love. When we came to faith, how many of you guys just loved everybody? It wasn't just Jesus. Like, you loved Jesus. Like, whoa, you saved me. You're the Savior. I'm forgiven. You loved me so much that you gave your life for me. Yeah, he's easy to love. He did all that. But when we first came to him, didn't we just love everybody? Man, I was grabbing all my friends I knew. And it's just like, man, I'm on fire for Jesus. You need to know him. I was bringing people to church. I was out sharing. I lost a lot of friends in that season of life. But I just wanted people to know him. I'd go out of my way. Oh, you need help moving? Call me. I got a truck. I would love... Have I left my first? I purposely got rid of my truck because I got so sick of moving people. Have I left my first love? What happened? I've actually been praying that. And I'm easy. It's, it's easy to justify stuff. Well, <clears throat> I'm married now. I have kids. I got a lot of responsibility. I work more than I probably should already. And now to go do that too, really? And that's where I've been asking the Lord to really challenge my heart. Like, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I lacking love? If I see my neighbor in need, am I willing to walk across the street? Or am I too busy because I got all this other stuff to get done? Have we left our first love? Oh, boy. We've fallen. We've neglected the Great Commission. It's going. Do I share? 
like I used to share. When I came back from college, I used to go out on College Avenue every Friday night. Did that for a long time. I haven't been out street preaching in quite a while. It makes me ask myself, what's changed? Why don't I have a, well, I go other places now. I do it at the pantry every week, and I do it at the jail once in a while. And who knows, maybe a non-believer will come to church and they have to hear the gospel just because I'm preaching. You guys see where I'm going? I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm just trying to share some of the stuff that I've been considering and going through. Because I don't want to be in a place where judgment comes. Hey, you're doing church great. A lot of good stuff happening. You're even exhausted in your work. But you left your first love. I don't want that to be said of any of us, guys. And that's why I'm trying to be real with you this morning. Where are we at? And I think a call for a day of prayer is huge. Let's take time to seek the Lord. You know, maybe it's coming and just showing up and not saying a word. We're here to listen, God. What do you have to speak? Because we have a lot to say, don't we? I don't know about you guys. That first love of Jesus, it's sweet. Remember, I was working for Pizza Hut. Late nights, I had to close up. I wouldn't get home until midnight or later. But I had a season I was so in love with Jesus, I didn't care that I was so exhausted from a long day of work. I would go and sit in the living room and I'd play a worship CD and there would be times that I would just sit there in the presence of the Lord, worshiping him for hours. Maybe three, four o'clock in the morning. I felt like it was minutes. Now there's times I'm in worship and I'm just like, I don't like this song. <laughs> Would they hurry it up? Let's get on to the next. What happened? Because <laughs> I still have that CD that I used to listen to all the time and most of those songs were really bad. What happened? <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. You can jot that down. This is what the Lord says. I remember your devotion of your youth. How as a bride, you loved me and you followed me through the wilderness, through the land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord. The first fruits of his harvest, all were devoured her, or devoured her, were held guilty. And disaster overlooked them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. And then in chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, the prophet goes on to say, I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. A cry is heard on the barren heights, the weeping and pleading of the people of Israel, because they have perverted their ways and they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, faithless people, and I will cure you of backsliding. 
My fear is we can backslide without even knowing it. I see it happen all the time. I never meant to stop going to church. People have told me. I don't know how it happened. It just happened. I didn't want to start drinking again. But I'm drinking again. Didn't want to go there. There's another one in 2 Corinthians 11.2. This is the New Living Translation. It says, I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. I think that's a healthy fear for you and I to have, guys. It's a fear I have as your pastor. And this was a tendency in Ephesus. Let's be aware. I want to heed the words of Jesus in these letters. I don't know about you guys, but if he took the time, like, hey, it's done. I died. I rose from the dead. The gospel's going forth throughout the whole world. The gospels have been written. Acts have happened. But there's one last word I want for the church. There's a few things I want them to hear. So I want to encourage us as we consider together, guys, what the Spirit says to the churches that we all have ears to hear. Don't close up your heart. You may have been super encouraged this morning, right on. You may have been convicted. I Hopefully that's a right on. All right, I'm going to skip a few pages for the love of our children's ministry. Look at verse 5. We need to remember how his love is so good, his forgiveness. We look to the cross, the gospel. We repent there. Whatever's gotten in the way, we got the list of things here. And then do comes up, you know, what you need to do to pursue Jesus, to seek his heart. Evaluate yourself, brother and sister. Go back. What has gotten in your way? A lot of times it's going back and looking, what did I stop doing? What's changed? I used to go to men's prayer. I used to be in Bible study. I used to get together. We actually talked about Scripture and Jesus and what God's doing instead of the woes and the gossip of life. And then this, Jesus says, or else. Or else. Do we ever say that to our kids? If our Heavenly Father says it, I think we want them to listen to us. <laughs> I think we should be listening to Him. So, we don't want to lose what it means to be church. That's the or else here. Let's not miss it, brother and sister. And then I love the promise given at the end in verse 7. You has an ear to hear. He who overcomes. 1 John 5, 5. He who overcomes this world is he who is believed on the Son of God, Jesus. It's being born again, guys. It's having faith in him. That's how you become an overcomer. And that's what God wants for us, guys. He wants us to be overcomers. Do you guys get that? Overcomers. There's a tree of life. I think that's going to be pretty cool. We get to partake that. The paradise of God. So the gospel, guys, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think our prayer just needs to be, revive us, O Lord. I think that should be a continual prayer for our church. 
Revive us. Revive us. Why? Because the church is an organism, just like we are. How many times do you guys cry out to God, revive me, revive me today, Lord. Return me to my first love. I need you. I I got off track. (laughs) I need help getting back. I think we pray the same way for the church, guys. Revive us. Amen? Let's stand to our feet and we'll close in prayer. Well, Father, we are thankful for your word. It is needed. We thank you for the time that you've given us to hear from you this morning. And I do pray that you would search each one of us, God, and make known to each one of us what's going on in our hearts. I know I've been guilty of, I think many of us, we find ourselves as a a Martha Martha. We get so busy with the stuff. It can even be the good stuff that you're calling us to do. But we miss the best part. And that's having that time at your feet. I pray that you'd stir that up in each one of us. Just that longing, that hunger. Just to be with you. To be being loved by you loving you back and then just getting to love others that's the natural outflow of just enjoying you father so i pray that grace for each and every one of my brothers and sisters here help us to keep our eyes upon you keep us from the distractions from drifting from those people lord that can pull us away from you god i know sin and pain lord separate us from you You've taken care of all that. And we're thankful for that. So we're thankful this morning for this time. I do pray and ask that each one of us, Lord, that you would allow us time to reflect, to return if we need to, but also in preparation for the next six churches. God, that you'd be working in our lives and preparing us to receive all that you would have for us as we consider these letters of yours. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome.